brought a present. <laughs> right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series on wisdom this morning, and we're going to be looking at the fear of the Lord. And there's a verse in, uh, a couple of verses, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, I think it is, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. You know, the fear of the Lord, it's, it's a big topic, and I've got a lot of notes here. I don't think I'm going to get through my notes this morning, and it's only a fraction of what we could say about the fear of the Lord. But we're going to have a bash and see how far we get. So the fear of the Lord. What actually is the fear of the Lord? Well, what, what's it not? Um, well, it's not natural fear. And it's not demonic fear. You know, that fear, you know, when, when you, you come across something that, that, that's distinctly evil and there's a certain fear associated with it. It's not a religious fear. It's not a fear because man says you've got to fear God. Um, it's not a fear of man. So it's something else. You know, God's not something to be scared of, but he is to be feared. So what's that actually mean? Well, um, one of the things I like, actually, is how C.S. Lewis... Lewis talks about it when he's talking about Aslan the lion now Aslan the lion is a sort of it's kind of meant to represent uh, Christ and it's sort of part of the story in in, in the Narnia books but he's, he's sort of bringing a picture of what Christ is like and it says there uh, in in, uh, in one of the books of Narnia it says Aslan is a lion the lion the great lion Ooh, said Susan can you say oh, no I'll not do that I thought I thought he was a man is he quite safe I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But his good is the king, I tell you. And that's something, a little picture, I suppose, of what the fear of the Lord is a bit like. No, he's not safe, but he's good. And he's on our side. And he is the king. So what actually is the fear of the Lord? And there's, there's some good words that are used uh, to describe something of what the fear of the Lord is. Because it's a special kind of fear. First of all, there's an awe associated with it. What, an awe, what awe means, if you look in the dictionary, it says it's an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, etc., produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. And so there are certain ways in which we kind of react to something. When we're in awe of something, we react in certain kinds of ways. Probably the most common way we go is Wow! But often, when we're, when we're really struck with awe, we're actually struck silent, and we just don't know what to say. Because what we see, and what we observe, and what, what, what we're in awe of, is so magnificent, so amazing, so good, we just can't say anything. We just don't know how to put it into words. Sometimes, it's like so amazing, we just fall on our face. So we might, be, uh, we might fall on our face in awe, we might be dumbstruck in awe. We might just gaze in awe. There's some of the reactions we have when we're in awe of something. Secondly, there's the thing called reverence. And awe is quite a, a, a passive sort of thing. You're in awe of something and you just, just don't know what to do. Reverence is much more of an active thing. It's where we actually do something out of reverence. When we've had an experience of awe and then we go, wow, I need to bring something back. I need to, to revere uh, the thing I'm in awe of. And so, um, 
you might actually do something. You might actually start to, to worship. You might get down on your knees. You might put your hands in the air. You might do something that's a response to the thing that you are in awe of, the thing that you are in fear of. And so out of awe comes reverence, and out of reverence can come worship. And so we see these things in action. This is all part of what it is to fear God. There's an awe, there's a reverence, there's a worship that comes out of that. Now, there is a, there is a sense in which we need to fear God because God has our lives in his hands, and he's the one ultimately who will determine who lives and who dies based on um, what we've done with our lives and whether we've actually given our lives to him, whether we've, um, whether, whether we've done that sort of thing, how, how we've treated God. But on the whole, when we come as Christians before God, that fear of the Lord is about awe, it's about reverence, it's about worship. So before we go on to looking too much, too deeply into the fear of the Lord, what I want to ask you a question is, how big is your God? Because, oh, there we go. Is he just a little more than a construct of your imagination, it says up there? That's what I put up there. And that's yeah, a handsome chap that I put up there to that's what would demonstrate this. Um, you know, there are people who say that, that the reason why we've got a God is because people have sort of looked at the world, they couldn't understand it, and so they've constructed this idea of a God in order to explain what the world's all about and how things came about and this, that, and the other. And so for a lot of people who are not Christians, hopefully, uh, that's... that's kind of what they believe they just believe it's it's a figment of an imagination well what I want to say to you is if that's you today then why not come and experience our God because our God's not like that he's not a figment of our imagination he does change things he does heal he does amazing things he's a God that's living and powerful he's loving and kind but you see here's the deal if you if you've got a god like that that's just a figment of your imagination you can't be in awe of that can you who would be in awe of something that i thunk up I, even i wouldn't be in awe of that you know it's just just doesn't work like that we can't be in awe of something that's just a figment of our imagination but at least i can't so the next sort of kind of group of people um, are people who treat god like a genie you know there he is we put him on the shelf, and we might even know he's on the shelf. There's just a little lamp on the shelf somewhere, and we just forget about him, and he's, he's there as we go through our lives. And then one day, something big happens in our life, and we think, wow, I can't cope with this on my own. I wonder if there's a God out there. And so we take down the, 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 the lamp off the shelf, and we give it a little rub. And do you know what? Quite often, when people do that, God's actually gracious enough to show up and do something. And so quite often when, when non-Christians say, God, are you there? I need you in this situation. Quite often you hear stories of him showing up and doing something. Um, I had a work colleague when I was actually working, um, and he had a niece who, who, was, who was very sick. Uh, and she, I think, I think her, her, her chances of pulling through were sort of 20, 30%, something like that. It was, it was pretty grave stuff, and he was really worried about this, this niece. And so... He came in my office, he poured out his heart, he told me all about the thing that was going on. And so I said to him, can I pray for you? And he said, well, actually, I've, um, I said to God, if you're there, will you do something about this situation? So he'd already called out to God about it. And so I prayed for him and, and, and so on and prayed into this situation. And that, that girl got better. You know, she, she did pick up, I think it was a girl, I think it was his niece, got better. And, and the whole situation was turned around. Now... 
that's like taking the genie off the shelf for him, isn't it? He's, he's sort of thought, well, he's not thought about God through all his, his, his working life, all his life, and all of a sudden, something comes up that he can't cope with, and he's taking the genie off the shelf, he's taking the lamp off the shelf, and he's rubbed it, and God's shown up into that situation. But here's the deal. That's great if you're, if you're non-Christian. Maybe, maybe that's, that's something they need to do sometimes. But for some Christians, that's true of them too. Sometimes we treat God a bit like a genie, that we kind of maybe only think about him on a Sunday when we can bother to come to church, and maybe we don't actually ever really um, have that experience, that awe of him. And he's just something that's there when we need him and when there's something that, uh, that, that's, that's gone bad. And so if you're like that, just... Let's move on. Let's move on from there. Let's see what we can do to move on from being just somebody who treats God as something to, to show up when things are tough, to somebody who's an integral part of our life. Because it's hard to be in awe of something that you keep on the shelf and you don't think about. If you don't think about something, how can you be in awe of it? But God wants us to be in awe of him. God wants us to revere him. God wants us to worship him. God wants us to be in a relationship with him. And you can't relate to something that is just something you keep on the shelf. The third thing we can do with God is to do this with him. Keep him in a box. Now you might say, well, I don't keep God in a box, but I reckon a lot of us here today, most of us here today, probably actually in some way, shape or form, keep God in a box. You know, when a child's small, he believes his parents can do absolutely everything. So, you know, Dylan probably believes that... uh, that Pete can do everything. Jude probably believes that, uh, that Rachel and, and, and Matthew can do everything. Um, Sophie believes that David and Katie and everybody, they, they, they can do anything. They're, they're, they, they know everything. Your, your mum and dad know everything. They can do everything. You know, they, they even produce, I, mean, I mean, some of them can even produce food out of their own bodies. How, how amazing is that? You know, they can do such amazing, wonderful things. They produce food. They, they can, you know, they can walk standing up. They can uh, go to the toilet without the need of a nappy. All these wonderful things that to a toddler are absolutely amazing. You know, to, to a toddler, parents can do everything. And as they grow up, Parents shrink, don't they? All of a sudden, you can't do their maths homework for them. Um, or whatever it happens to be. And then a child becomes a teenager, and parents can't do anything then. They're rubbish. They're, they're useless. They have no gifts whatsoever. And then we come into adulthood, and we, start to, we actually, actually start to appreciate uh, our parents again a little bit more. But we go through this process of, of exalting our parents to knowing everything, to being like God's to us, to, to being nothing to us, to being a little bit of something to us. And there's, a, there's, there's a, a sense in which we do that as Christians when we're thinking about God. Because what we do is, um, the first time we pray for something and nothing happens, what do we do? We say, well, you know, God maybe can't do that kind of thing. Or, or we, we may not actually speak it out loud, but inside, we're starting to put a limit on what God can do because he hasn't answered that prayer. Now there's probably some very good reasons why God hasn't answered that prayer. And we've all, we've all probably got prayers that we pray that we are glad that God never actually answered those prayers in reality. Uh, but you know, sometimes it becomes a limiting thing that we put God into a box. You know, so sometimes we don't see the bigger picture of God's timing and things. We say things as well like miracles happened in Jesus' day, but they're not for today. Some, some Christians say things like that, you know, Tongues and interpretation, they were Jesus' day, they're not for now. The fullness of the Holy Spirit was for Jesus' day, it's not for now. 
those sorts of things. Some people say the miraculous was for then, it's not for now. Other people say, well, the miracles are great for Africa and they're great for Asia and these great places where God moves in amazing places. And a number of us have been out to those sorts of places and we've prayed into situations and God's moved in amazing ways, but he doesn't do that here. And some of us are guilty of saying, well, God doesn't do it here. And so you shrink him down into a box and we limit God and we put, we put um, uh, limits on him. Maybe when we're thinking of something like love, we limit God to our earthly experience of love. And if we've had a bad experience of love, well, God can't be all that loving because I've had a bad experience of love and I can't relate to that. I can't relate to God's love. And so that's going to be true of some people. They don't, they don't see the fullness of God because of the things that have happened to them uh, that have limited how they're able to respond to those things. And so we put God in a box. And some people... I think we're guilty of being a bit pick and mix with God as well. There are certain aspects of God that we think, they're great. You know, we, so take love, for example. Some people will go, wow, God's a God of love. I'm going to put that in my box. And other people are going to say, God's a God of love. I can't cope with that. And they're going to say, I, 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 can't, I can't believe that. I can't cope with that. Other people are going to say, God's a, God, a holy God. That's going in my box. And other people say, no, I can't cope with God being a holy God. That's not for today. That's for... Uh, a time pass and so we can be restricted we can put just certain things in our box and keep God in our box but if you keep God in a box like that however big that box might be it's hard to be in awe of something that you put in a box and that you've con- contained and controlled I was thinking um, as I was thinking how we illustrate this I was thinking about car engines and you know a car, le- car engine needs three things in order to work th- three main things it needs fuel it needs air, and it needs a spark. And if you put those three things together at the right time, because timing's important as well, then what will happen, there'll be a little mini explosion inside the cylinder. The cylinder will move down, it'll move the crank forward, and the wheels of the car will start to move. And lots of those little mini explosions will cause the car to move. And engines are different sizes. You know, you can get a little lawnmower engine that's like half a horsepower, or you can get a, a Grand Prix car with hundreds, maybe thousands of horsepower. I don't know how powerful they are. David will tell me afterwards. You know, but there's, there may be a difference in how much that spark is contained, that, that, that explosion is contained. But if you take those same ingredients, the fuel, the air, and the spark, you take them out of the engine, you take them out of the box, and you put them into fresh air, and you put the fuel and you put the air into there, and you light a match things are going to go up like a bomb. It's going to go all over the place because the explosion, it's not contained anymore. It's not in a box. It's able to do something different, something beyond what it could ever do while it was in that engine. So we need to let God out of the box to be God and to do what he wants to do because we can't be in awe of him if we boxed him in. And, you know, just thinking about the miraculous You've got those three things we talked about with the car engine, the fuel, the air, and the spark. You know, with, with, with the miraculous, I think there's probably three things that are involved there. There's God's power, there's the will of God, and there's a spark of faith. And when you get those three things together in the right timing, then God can do something amazing, do something miraculous. And if we can take those things and take them out of our box and let God be God, and let God go beyond our imaginations and our thoughts of what he's like then we can see amazing things happening in our day and generation. So, you know, it's time to let God out of your box. To rip it open, throw it away, 
and let God be God. No longer boxed in by the things that we try to box him in with. Let him be God. So what does the Bible say about... Well, let me rephrase that because I'm not going to go to the Bible first. What does, what, so what does letting God out of the box actually look like? Um, I like the books. I like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if anybody else likes the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I do. And one of the things in there, there's a guy called Zafar Beeblebrox, and he's got a, a super ego. He's so got such an ego that he's the president of the universe in these books. And um, for various reasons, they decide they're going to they're take him prisoner and they're going to put him through the worst punishment known to mankind. And it's a thing called the total perspective vortex. And this thing, actually, you, you're putting this in this thing by... Um, Anyway, you, put in, you put in this thing, and what you actually see in an instant is the enormous, enormity of the whole of creation, and then you see yourself in perspective to it, and you go, you're so blown away by awe that your head explodes. That's kind of the way it works. So, Zafel Bieber Rocks is put into this machine, and then a few seconds later, he walks out of it and goes, wow, I'm the greatest thing in the universe. Wow. So, okay, so it's not quite that, but... Um, what we need to do is to grasp something of, get a perspective on just how big God really is. You know, let's forget about our little boxes, but let's get a grasp of just how big God is. And so, uh, fear of the Lord, deep awe, comes out of that encounter with God, where God lets us glimpse something of his infinite greatness. And so for a moment, just consider the greatness of God. He's infinite in power. Is infinite in presence and infinite in knowledge. What does that actually look like? Well, if you imagine, um, well, before you imagine, we've got a little window above our bed at, at, at Joy and I, and when we look out to the window at night, we can see in the night sky the stars lighting up. We just love to, to lay there on a night and just look up to the stars and see the heavens above. When you look up to the heavens, how many stars are there? There's lots. And that is just the ones we can see. It's, it goes on and on and on. There are, there are thousands, millions, un, innumerable stars in the heavens. Do you know what? God's there. He understands them. He knows about them. He created them. <coughs> he knows what's happening to them. And do you know, he even holds them together. And then you think about the microscopic. Well, you think about us, first of all. That God actually, the God who created all of that, actually cares about each one of us and died for each one of us, and loves each one of us. But then you can go more microscopic than that, and think about, you know, the other day I got one of those little tiny little insects on my hand, and I think, you look at it and think, how on earth does that actually exist and work, and eat and do stuff? And then it bites you, and you kind of find out, but it's tiny, but it hurts like anything. And that's something God's created, something so tiny, and yet... It's there. And then you go more microscopic to that, down to the atoms and the subatomic particles and things. And God is in all of that. That's the, the breadth. That's what it is when God's everywhere, when God's all-knowing, when God's all-powerful. He created all this stuff. He's in all this stuff. He's part of all that stuff. God knows it all. He holds it all together. Colossians 1, 16 to 17. For him, in him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then multiply all of that, the fact that God's in all of that, with the fact that he's been all of that all through time as well. So that even multiplies all that knowledge and all that stuff even greater um, than it is now. 
And then we've got the immensity of God's love. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's an immensity of his love. There's an immensity of his holiness. That he was holy before time began and he's holy for eternity to come. And so we've got a God who is all holiness and all, uh, all, all love. And all these other attributes that we know that God has. Let's just briefly look then at Solomon's encounter uh, with God. And when Solomon um, went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered, this is 2 Chronicles 1, offered a, a thousand burnt offerings on it. And that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask whatever you want to get me to give you. Solomon answered God, you've shown me great kindness. You've shown great kindness to David, my father, and made him a king in me king in his place. Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you've made me king over people who are numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the depth of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor such as no king who was, ever, uh, who was ever before you ever had and none after you will have. And so for Solomon, this whole thing, when he says, when they say in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, for Solomon it's absolutely true because the fear, when he has an encounter with God, that's when his wisdom comes because he's had an encounter with God and God's given him wisdom. So for him, it wasn't just a nice proverb or a nice piece of poetry, it was absolute fact. You know, whenever we see people encountering God in the Bible, we see change and we see something happening. So um, for, for Solomon, it, it's the, um, from the fear of the Lord comes wisdom. Um, for somebody like Moses, Moses encounters God in the burning bush and he's recommissioned to lead. Jacob wrestled with God and he's given a new name and a changed heart. Isaiah's lips are touched by a coal from God's altar and he's commissioned to speak. And so... When God shows up and we have an encounter with him, that awe moment with God, that awe experience with God, that awe encounter, then something comes out of that. And in Solomon's case, it's wisdom and it's knowledge. And so for us too, when we have an awe encounter with God, it opens up the possibility of, of tapping into the wisdom of God. And so we can see enhanced natural wisdom. Uh, it's interesting, actually. We were having a com conversation the other night. Uh, no, actually, let me move on from that before I do that. Um, we can make better decisions uh, because um, we make them in the light of who God is. But we also have access to spiritual wisdom. Um, and here, it's interesting how many people um, will come to a Christian and they'll sort of say, you know, give me some advice on something. You know, they'll come and sit in your office, they'll come and have a chat with you. And they may not be Christians, but they want to tap into something that they see in us that I think is that divine wisdom that God imparts through us sometimes into their situation. So even though they might not realize that's what they're doing, quite often people come in and they tap into something of the wisdom of God that God's passing on through us, even though they're not actually Christians themselves in, in, in some cases. So we've got enhanced natural wisdom, we've got access to spiritual wisdom, and also there are wisdom gifts that from time to time uh, God gives to the church, so the words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and some of the things we've seen operating this morning as, uh, as, um, as we've been in worship. Okay, so let's move on quickly. What does the fear of the Lord do for you? 
Okay, just really quickly, I'm just going to rattle through some of these because um, time's nearly gone. Uh, first of all, it's a place of refuge. So, uh, Proverbs 14, 26, 27. Whoever fears the Lord is a secure fortress. For their children, it will be a refuge. It's a fountain of life and keeps us from evil. For the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, uh, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 16, 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. So there are a whole bundle of things that God um, imparts to us when we have an awe, when we have a fear of him. A couple more. It gives us rest from trouble. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then, then one rests content, untouched by trouble, and it leads to blessing. Blessed is the one, Proverbs 28, verse 14, uh, who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens his heart falls into trouble and there are a whole bundle more I mean I just picked out some of the ones uh, that we could have had this morning but there are a whole bundle of different blessings different things that come out of having a right fear of of the Lord when we become in awe of him and so this morning let's break out of the box Let's let God break out of the box. Let's not try and contain him any longer. Let's not treat him like a genie. Let's not treat him like a figment of our imaginations. But let's get to grips with the God who can do amazing things in our lives, who can give us a fear that will change our lives, move us on into a a whole new realm with him. So you want to know, how can we know the fear of of the Lord and his wisdom? Well, spend more time in God's presence. Spend time just, just encountering him, just worshipping him. You know, we have encounter evenings on a Sunday night. That they're times when we spend extra time in worship, extra time just spending time in God's presence. And maybe through those, you'll get a glimpse of a little more of who God is and what he's like. Spend time in your own personal worship, getting to know him better, getting closer to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you more. His love, his holiness, his limitless power, his presence, his knowledge, whatever else, what other attributes there are of his that you need in your life. And seek God's wisdom. Be open to his ways and his teachings. And so this morning I'm going to pray, but if, you, if there's something specific that you really feel that God's uh, laid on your heart, put on your, on your heart this morning that you want specific prayer for, then the prayer team will be probably over there as usual, they'll pray for you if there's something specific. But I'm just going to pray for us, and then I'll hand back to David. And so, Lord, you just ask that you will uh, make yourself more and more real to us as the days lie ahead. Lord, help us not to treat you like a genie, Lord. Help us not to treat you like something we keep in a box. But Lord, help us to give you the space to be uh, who you are, Lord God. The space to be God, Lord God, I pray. Let's not, help us not to put any limits on what you can do or who you are. But Lord, help us to, to grasp hold of who you really are, Lord God. Let us help us to grasp your love, your holiness, your limitless power, your presence, your knowledge. And Lord, help us uh, to find more and more of your wisdom in the days that lie ahead, Lord. Amen.